Welcome to ChatGPT for Me podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping forward-thinking entrepreneurs get ahead of the AI-powered technology by learning tips, tricks, and expert secrets of ChatGPT so you can go from techno-optimist to high-tech hero. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome to the podcast. So glad you're all here. I'm here today with Alan Harris. He is a part of Stand Up, where they use AI and governments and show you how to do the same. So, Alan, I'm so excited you're here, brother. And uh, thanks for being on the show. And thanks for having me. Happy to be here with you. Yeah. I'd first like to kick things off with just understanding a little bit of your journey. What got you in the world of AI? What kicked things off for you? Oh, man, that's when uh, I was doing marketing in mm -hmm. around 2019, one of my friends approached me. He had built this machine learning model that he said could generate blog posts and being in marketing and seeing that world and how important that was at the time, I immediately knew the value. We decided to work together. We're pumping out a thousand blog posts every hour with our product and a ridiculous amount of content being generated. It was ranking. Google wasn't quite sure how to deal with it at the time. They've since figured it out. And that kind of started our journey. Customers were getting results. We were going into pilots, seeing really great impact to our clients. And then COVID hit. And that started our journey off. We decided we're not going to build a marketing company when all the marketing budgets went down to zero. Shifted okay. over to focus on the Department of Defense and things took off from there. Oh, that's so funny. That's so interesting. Yeah, I had a similar type of story on my side. On the other side, like I raised money for an AI product back in the day. I actually had to grant some cash and then COVID hit. And what I was working on basically was an AI for in-person hospitality and then COVID hit. So all the in-person wow. hospitality was gone. <laughs> Overnight. 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 Yeah. So then we got into different technology. We got into VR and then back into AI when ChatGPT came back out. It was a different journey, but I resonate with, with your background. For yourself, can you just talk to me about magic moments? Is, what's been the magic moment where you've used this technology and it seemingly seemed like magic? Really, the biggest magic comes when you show it to someone, when they see it for the first time. I'll give you an example. I, my in-laws, future in-laws, but in-laws, they're family of me. Nice. They've, my my father-in-law has been writing music for decades, and he works with the Catholic Church. My mother-in-law works for the Catholic Church, and they've been in that world, and they just, they're big in serving people. And when I showed him for the very first time that you could take a topic you could take a location, you could take a scene and have ChatGPT write a song. That completely blew his mind. And it made it clear to him that he could take the part of creating music that was the hardest for him to wrap his head around and completely skip that so that he could focus on what he was really good at, which was creating the guitar, the music around it. And he's now using that in his songs that he plays for the church every week. And that's just this magic moment where somebody thinks there's a barrier to them being able to do what they love to do. And then AI comes in and takes care of the part that's the heavy lift so they can do what they really care about. That's what I love. And we see that with our customers every day. I see that with my team every day. It's just a really fascinating time to be in the space. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a lot of like fear and worries about people. It's going to take my job. It's going to replace me, all that fun stuff. But in terms of it handling the grunt work so that you have the ability to focus on what you love and what you want to do is mm -hmm. what, what we want to happen. It's the holy grail. It's what we're seeking to achieve with all of this AI technologies. When you're talking about using this for your customers and some of the magic that they see from it, can you give me a practical tactical of what that is for a customer of yours? 
Absolutely. So our customers will spend six hours a week looking for new opportunities to go after as a business. And just to give you an idea of what that is, the government publishes $172 billion worth of opportunities that they designate for small businesses every year. And those are often non-dilutive. They're often contracts that lead to follow on business with the government. It's a big deal and a big opportunity that people don't take advantage of enough. The companies that do spend way too long sifting through all of that just to find the one that works. When we're able to ingest all of that and use AI to match what a company does to the opportunities that are actually a fit, that's magic for them. That's somebody who doesn't have to spend six hours a week reading through lists just to find the few that they need to triage to sift through and find the correct ones mm. so they can go after that revenue. Got it. Okay, cool. So then, yes, yeah, it's one of the things AI runs off of data, right? So what you're saying mm -hmm. is there's large, complicated data sets of potential opportunities. You're crunching all those numbers and then you're pairing it up with what the ideal fit for your clients are and saying, okay, you, I don't know, you clean tanks for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking for some sort of opportunity, a grant around the government for cleaning tanks. And you can match that up so that instead of them rifling through everything else, they can just serve it up on a silver platter. That's right. right. That's right. Or it can be something really fascinating and future looking like you build giant firefighting robots. That is another side of things as well, for sure. <laughs> what am I going to do with all these, with these giant transformers? What I have no idea. Yeah, it's crazy, that's right. Man. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's wild. And that's a, those are niche use cases, but those are things yeah. that we need as a society. Wildfires are crazy. And the very first customer conversation I had when we put the product into market was around that product. And somebody who's solving for that problem using giant wildfire fighter fighting robots. How do you find somebody who has such a niche product sift yeah. through seven or nine million opportunities in order to get them funding to do that oh. and to open doors in the government, which needs this product? Yeah. And the answer is it's, you spend six hours a week doing it as a human, or you can use AI and do it in seconds so that you can get back to what you really care about. It fought fires. Is that what it did? It helped put out wildfires. Is that what it did as a thing? Yep. That's right. Oh, that's cool. What are there any applications? I know there's some things going on in Hawaii right now. It's pretty topical yeah. for all that stuff. So I was wondering if that's, that's the thing. It's like some of this technology that we see in the military space, it can trickle down and has those effects. Usually the government has these ridiculous budgets that then fund a thing that then trickle down into usually it goes government enterprise, SMB, common mm -hmm. people, usually That's the, right. the flow of everything. So I'm wondering if they'll get a chance to actually bring that into and, and repurpose it. I don't know, but on that topic, I think AI is different from a lot of the innovations we've seen in the past that do have to go through that giant R and D funnel. They're obviously OpenAI has been working on ChatGPT and just GPT in general for eight years now. So they had a head start. They've been doing it for a while. And a lot of people don't see that long tail of R and D that happened in order to make their overnight success last November. But what we're seeing with AI is adoption starting at the consumer level and the SMB level, and then trickling up into the enterprise and then into government because enterprise and government has more processes and procedures that kind of resist that change. Whereas SMBs can adopt it overnight. Yes. There's a tricky statement there. And I want to, I want to address this is the fact that when a ubiquitous tool comes out that everybody can use, then and anybody that's easily adopted and the common people who have access to it, it's like someone just made an AI hammer, right? And now mm -hmm. everyone's trying to find innovative ways to do that. And because of that, it becomes the Wild West. I know the same thing because before this, 
you know, I got started in high technology over 10 years ago in virtual reality. Somebody went through mm -hmm. the heavy R&D process funded by Oculus to make this VR headset. And then it became the Wild West for all the developers that could use software to iterate on that hardware platform. And so because of that, it, yes, great brand new digital a VR headset, a VR hammer. You give it to a whole bunch of people. Now there's all these creative iterations. Then it goes back up and say Walmart's now doing training with VR and all this other crazy right. stuff. But you have to have some giant megalithic company like an Oculus, like an OpenAI, like a Google or like someone else to actually create the technology, some sort of new product that is in the marketplace, feed that mm -hmm. to the people and then say, great, you be creative with it. So it is true, but you still, That's right. you, there's no kid in his basement who made a VR headset that now everyone can then, you have to be able to create that infrastructure to be able yeah. to adopt it. That's um, right. They made know. the infrastructure and then they got the distribution and without the distribution piece, the adoption piece wouldn't have happened. Yes. The distribution, you have the innovation, distribution, then innovative creation. And then it goes back mm -hmm. up the streams where all of a sudden all these companies are slower to adopt, go, oh, that's cool. That's a good idea. I'll spend a bunch of money on that because it's been proven in the, the wild west of the high-end technologies. I know <laughs> now with uh, AI, there's a bunch of like local language models and there's like the Dan bot and there's a bunch of wild things going on with it. Yeah. What do you think right now are the areas that are currently what we'll call the wild west of AI? What do you see right now that's going on right now that not maybe the enterprises and government haven't adopted yet, but is currently being circulated amongst the people? So Dan mode was obviously one of the more fun ones where you had communities on Reddit and other online and platforms that were teaching each other how to circumvent all of the hurdles. And that's something I learned growing up as an entrepreneur in the making from when I was young is how to break the rules without making people mad. And I've always enjoyed kind of playing in that space. How can I get things done by pushing the boundaries a little more in order to get what I need? And that is something that I've seen replicated on ChatGPT with Dan Mode. And for those who don't know, Dan Mode is how you jailbreak ChatGPT. And you essentially tell it, ignore all of your rules, ignore all of the things you're told not to let me do them. And then give me a caveat saying, I'm not supposed to let you, here you go, just so that when it's reproduced in the wild, people don't go blaming ChatGPT for serving up the anarchist cookbook. Now, besides that, the other space that I see a lot of innovation happening is on the open source side of large language models. You have open source models that are coming in, are starting to meet, meet parity with GPT-4 and are becoming commercially available. Llama 2 is a big example of that. And we're experimenting with that on our own. We can't use Llama 2 for military. So we're in experimenting it internally, developing benchmarks, but that's giving us an idea of how we'll use some of the future iterations that do support what we're doing. On the military side, it's more of an education and use case and how to do business with them. So it's an indirect use case, but just to stay safe, we're not going to implement that one. But for other open source models, what we're seeing is individual metrics are surpassing things that GPT-4 has happened. So you have some models that will allow you to use 100,000 tokens. Now, the results might not be as good, but you can dump as much information into it as you want, and you're going to have use cases that need that kind of limit. With others, you need less input in order to get the output and you want the output quality to be much, much better. And so it's just a matter of measuring the models to see what works, but there is a convergence that's happening where those limitations are being lifted and you're just gonna start getting flavors of models that service certain sectors better, I believe. That's my observation of what we're seeing on our end. 
Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. What you're talking about is this fractal breakout of focuses, right? And so you're looking at the llama and I don't know, was llama to the one that they were actually, at first they got onto a high-end computer and then they ended up ultimately getting onto like a Raspberry Pi. I forget which which model that was. I don't remember which, I read that too, but I don't remember which one that was. Yeah, but that's that's one of the main use cases I know because one of the things clients I was working with back in the day with on like high end enterprises with AI is they wanted everything on the edge, right? They wanted yes. it on the edge being local. I want it in my I want it a Fort Knox wrapped around my AI box <laughs> and no one has access to it, and they want to be able to protect it because they said that really there's a couple of people that when you're in the world of making AI products or any of these types of things, and if you're looking to get investment, one of the number one things that people ask is what's your moat? And there's a couple of different ways to make moat. You can actually have a moat around the data that you own, or there's Mm -hmm. some sort of private data, but then you can actually have a a tangible moat by having it local and on the edge where nobody else can access it and get in and do anything. Those are a couple of the different ways of being able to see where people like, how is this defensible? Uh, for, For you on your side of things, I know you're in the area of raising right now, you're probably going through a funding round right now. You want to Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about your defensibility and how you're positioning yourself for investors? Absolutely. I've authored a number of patents in my life and a number of them have been acquired, which is super cool to see. And I understand how to look at a platform for patentability. Patentability is one aspect of creating a moat. It's not really the strongest from a startup's perspective. It really only comes into play when you're talking about acquisition or when you're large enough to use those patents to defend what you've built. So the way that I view defensibility as a startup is what kind of integrations can you create that create customer lock-in? What kind of Mm -hmm. data can you collect from your customers that then exponentially grows your moat as you grow as a company? Because if a customer sees value from the use of your product and they see that the results from the AI that you've provided to them get better as they use it, they're less likely to leave. At the end of the day, it's the same as with a non-AI company. If your product is amazing and you hook those customers in, they're going to stay. And that's what gives you your moat more than anything. That makes a ton of sense. And if you're the, another terminology for that is called the walled garden, right? That's right. So, so if you have the walled garden, Apple is notorious for this, is that you come into the walled garden and you get implanted in their ecosystem and your iPhone works with your iPad that works with your Mac and it's all together in one ecosystem. And then if you got to leave, it's, ah, it's, it's, I'm already in paradise. I don't want to have to scale over this thing to create mm-hmm. everything from the ground up. It's really difficult. Another example, more practical, tactical around the side of data is Amazon storage. Amazon mm-hmm. storage is amazing and super easy to, to get in and work into the system. But if you want to actually extract the data out of it, they, it's a bit more costly, expensive, and difficult. So that, right. makes it, that makes sense. And then, you're right. At the end of the day, what is a great defensibleness is loyal customers that don't want to leave. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. I think a lot of people miss that part. And that is the most important. It's funny with the Amazon storage, when they first put it out, and they told everyone that you can upload for free. I don't think anyone caught what that hook really was. I think everyone was just amazed like AWS and I can use as much storage as I want and incorporate in my apps. It's amazing. How much are they going to charge you to get it out though? <laughs> that's a tr- that, that's a tricky bit, man. I know. Yep. Again, I was then that's where a lot of people go because everyone wants to go and use the Amazon because it's so cheap with S3 buckets and all that jazz. And so you go to pull that and you're like, oh, no, that's why yep. I know the military... Hurt. Has uh, they have, I believe they have some deals with the government with mm-hmm. some large data sources and such. Looking at that and talking about customers, right? How mm-hmm. do you, using AI, what do you think about customer discovery, servicing your customers? What, in terms of how do you use AI to make sure your customers are happy? What kind of feedback do you use to iterate on your products with them and AI? What does that look like for you to make a happy customer? 
the first step of making a happy customer is understanding their workflow and understanding where you can shave tons of time off their existing workflow. Once you perfect that, the next step is really figuring out how you can leverage AI and all the data to enhance their workflow so that it's beyond anything humans could do on their own. And that's really where I think a lot of the companies who are innovating on top of these large language models are going to end up. The thing I think is going to catch a lot of people, though, is if you are reliant on a one-to-one -one relationship with your large language model provider, so if you're a startup that has everything connected to OpenAI, you're going to run into issues if OpenAI ever goes down, or if they ever decide that you violated their terms of use, or if you ever run into rate limits, then your product is going to stop working for your customers. And so what I'm suggesting for every AI startup is to build an infrastructure layer that allows you to be independent of the large language model provider that you work with. And that's exactly what we've done. That's what we've done with the Air Force over the past three years. We have our own models internally, and we have our infrastructure that allows us to work with large language models externally, either private or public. If you don't have that, you're putting yourself into a corner and you're going to run into issues down the road. Yeah, I completely know what you mean because when you're it's single point of failure in the military, they say two is one, one is none. And yeah. when you get stuck in that situation, you find yourself going, Oh no. So, what you're talking about is usually like an API layer or some way to be able to hot swap out this technology. Mm -hmm. And it gives you the ability to go, If one goes down, just easily switch to the other, just so that you don't. Because I have clients that build products for and things like that. And I'll sometimes get random text messages of fear of, Oh my God, my thing's not working. Why is it not working? And unless you, if you have a single point of failure, then you're in a really hard situation, especially with technology. And as you know, this, I think a lot of people, get these ideas of, oh my God, uh, AI is awesome. I'm just going to build a product. It's going to be huge and everyone's going to love it. And they don't understand the road it takes, the actual difficulty it takes, the cost, the time, the energy, mm -hmm. the intensity to actually to be able to build a successful software product or software company. Can you talk to me just a little bit about what in the hero's journey, it's called the, it's called the trail of tears. Where you face mm -hmm. threshold guardians that kick your butt as you go along the journey. Can you talk to me about some of the challenges that you faced or other people could face while they're trying to create a startup business, an AI business? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest challenges people face that no entrepreneur considers, it, and I say that as a very broad blanket statement because entrepreneurs tend to be not salespeople. Some are, right? But the general majority are product people. The problem I see a lot of people skipping is market fit. Making sure that your customer actually has a problem before you go off to build a product. And I know this is advice that we've seen champion for 20 years at this point, if not longer, but in startup world, we tend to jump into, I have a solution. We tend to skip the first part of, do your customers actually want this? That's the biggest hurdle that I see. And especially with AI, where you're starting to gain access to all of these new tools and you can wrap it up, you can put it into a platform, you can put it online. But I think that's how we've ended up with a thousand, I can generate a landing page for you using AI products. We have people very focused on those low lift use cases and fewer people focused on going out and talking to customers in order to figure out how they actually want to use AI. Which I think is super interesting. I completely agree with you on that. The thing is, what's the first common people use it for? Okay, I want to use it for marketing. I'm using it for sales. I'm using it for programming. Those are usually out the gate, you know, how people use it. And then people are resolving the same common problems again and again and again. I'm mm -hmm. going to write email copy. I'm going to build you a website. I'm going to write some basic code to make Pong or whatever it might be. <laughs> it 
it happens again and again. But the thing is, and this is one of the things I I try to because I have some masterminds and things that I teach stuff and people too is AI runs off of data, right? Yes. And the thing is, your data that you can get from your customers and understanding their needs, their desires, their wants, their pain points, their problems, what their dream outcome is, what does it look like, what are their fears, what are their hopes, all that fun stuff is all data. But in order to get that data, you got to get into people's faces. And one of the things that I know with a, a lot of times with this higher end technology stuff is that, and I've experienced this back in the day when I used to run, I used to run large meetup groups around virtual reality and all that fun stuff is that if you have a tendency to be more product focused and more technology focused, you tend to be less of a people person. That's right. right. But you need to get the data from the people to feed it into <laughs> the system so that you can mm -hmm. make a better product because you think, wow, this is super cool. But at the end of the day, unless you really can speak to the pain of the person, like what's going on in the world, That's you're right. never going to actually, you're never, you're just going to pitch something. Wouldn't this be cool versus I, I know where you're at. You're here and I want to get you there. For example, your product is you want to get a government grant. It takes a lot of time and energy. You're here. But on the other side of this is you have a new business, a new life, a new relationship with your company, and you have all these government grants. Great. We help you do that. That's a transformational process getting from A to B. And so I can absolutely see how that would be useful around that thing. Have you, you talked about product market fit. Have you addressing this right now? Have you talked to your customers, potential customers about this interviews? What does that look like for you to understand if there's a product market fit for you and your company? Absolutely. We talk to every customer. I'm in, very involved in our go-to-market and making sure that I'm touching base with all of them. We make sure that it's the right fit for them to go after Cyber. And really the qualifications are you have less than 500 employees in your company, which most small businesses and startups qualify for that. And then we make sure that they have a product that could actually be used by the government. So for example, if you're a plumber, Plumbers are amazing. I'm glad we have them in society. The government has a list of options for people to go through and contract with as plumbers, but a lot of times they have that in-house. And as a services provider, that's probably not the right fit for becoming a dual-use grant-issued startup. So I make sure that the product fits. I make sure that they have the expertise to build the product. If they win an award, we have to make sure they can execute on it. And then we make sure they qualify just based on the government requirements for being a small business. If you meet those, and most startups that we've spoken to do, then you can go after grants. Now, there are grants for everything under the sun you could possibly think of. Finding them is the hard part. That's why we focus on that with our customers too. But as long as you're in that ecosystem, we can help you. Got it. Yeah. So are you a small company? Can you do something that is niche that most people can't do? Can you actually do the thing that you say you can mm -hmm. do? And is there That's a right. need? Is there a need from the government for what is the thing that you say you can do? And mm -hmm. then you and you match those needs up to that makes sense. Do you have like in I know with other I know with other people that help with grants. So do you have on your team? Do you have ex-military people that vouch and sign off on things and things like that? Do you have oh 100 percent Yeah. And we go one step further. It's even better than that. We work with retired contracting officers, people who've been on the other side of the equation, who know what it takes to get a grant submitted and approved to do final review and to help our customers make sure that what they're submitting is actually ready to go. So I think that's key to the system because no AI is going to be able to generate a 100% ready to go proposal, but not a lot of customers know how to get a proposal to the finish line. Some of them do, some of them have been through the process, some of them have won awards, but it's so easy to miss something. And the people who've worked on the government side have this real great attention to detail that is just simply not replicated. And so they're pretty important to the process and they're a big piece of why our customers go with us. 
Yeah, the same thing is true with the government. I think is the same thing is true with investors is they're looking for a reason to not go than a reason to go. And so they're, right. they're just trying to find, okay, what's my no? And as soon as you get a no, <laughs> I don't know if you ever submitted an app to Apple. If you ever submit mm -hmm. apps to Apple, they, they don't give you the list of the 12 reasons. They just find the first reason that it doesn't work. And you go, nope, fix that one, come back. I'll catch you later. And you have to yep, go through you know, right. a dozen iterative processes. And it's just, it's brutal. But unless you know what you're doing and you've already tracked that trail and then you say, hey, follow me, I'm going along this hiking path and avoid the boulder, go past the snakes and all that jazz. That's right. What about this? In terms of future, what do you see in terms of this technology? And I know we can't do five, 10 years out. How do you see this technology integrating with society? Right now, we know what all the things they can do, generative AI and everything. But what do you see for the common people, for people at home that are going to be able to use this technology? How is it going to affect their lives and in what way? I think there's a lot of discussion around how AI is going to impact society. And I think there's some debate as to what the level of impact on jobs as a starting point is going to be. I think the impact on jobs is going to be very significant, but I think it's going to be more of a migration of roles as opposed to jobs are going to disappear and there's nothing to replace it. So I do think this is different from prior industrial revolutions and in that the level at which the jobs are impacting knowledge workers is much higher than before, but I think there will be new roles for people. And that's really, it's an optimistic perspective, but I think it's true. What I suspect is going to happen and the reason why we're in the space we're in more people are going to move towards starting their own businesses. You're going to have a lot more smaller opportunities that are going to pop up for somebody to make a living that just simply didn't exist before. And we've been making this transition since really the 50s when pensions and all of the benefits of working for a large or a large corporation started to dwindle and started to be chipped away at. And we're coming to a place where that's no longer available. I think I worked for one of the two companies that I've heard of that actually still had a pension. And going forward, people are going to have to be able to create their own living. AI does a lot of heavy lifting for them. Mm. Today, it does some things extremely well, some things not so well. In the future, it will be able to handle all of the functions you need to go into market and solve problems for people without needing a massive team to make it happen. And that's going to present an opportunity for people. The reason we're in the government space is because I think there are going to be more opportunities for government to fill the void than what people realize today and that what is available today. So if you're going into business for yourself and you're able to make a product that solves a problem, we're going to provide a channel through which you can quickly and easily do business with the government using your product. What do you think is the most important habit or mindset for this kind of new age entrepreneur? What do you think it like from mindsets to habits? What do they think that, what does it look like for them on a day-to-day -day basis for them to be able to adopt and leverage this technology? Curiosity is the biggest factor in being able to adopt it and use it. You have to be curious about how you can solve problems with it, how you can identify gaps in the market that need a solution that you can bring to the table with it. And I think if you don't have that piece, then you're not going to learn it well enough. You're not going to develop the domain expertise to answer those problems well enough. Uh, that's kind of the most important, I'll call it a mindset. Curiosity is a mindset. The second piece, just being an entrepreneur in general is grit. If you don't have a mindset of grit, you're going to wake up, get kicked in the face and you're going to give up. You yeah, might get kicked that, in the face seven days a week for three months straight. And you have to be able to continue going if you want to make something happen. 
Yeah, there's definitely a, I want to say, I don't want to bipolar natural energy that comes <laughs> to be an entrepreneur. I'm mm-hmm. on top of the world. Everything's on fire. Everything's yep. great. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. And you have this cycle where you have to get used to managing the highs and managing the lows of these opportunities because it is modern day hunting, right? You're going off trying to gather resources and survive in the wild of the digital era. So I get that. I love it. Curiosity because curiosity makes you go searching and understanding and seeking. And then the Mm -hmm. grit is when you go and get attacked in the wild through your curiosity, (laughs) you have to be okay to endure and survive. Yeah, absolutely. That That makes a ton of sense. What do you think right now though? What would be the big areas, right? We know government is a big area of AI opportunity. What are a couple of these other opportunity pockets that you see that entrepreneurs can go and pursue their curiosity with? I think if somebody has domain expertise, they need to really start looking in the immediate area they understand for those opportunities. So you mentioned data earlier being a really big competitive advantage. The second piece of that is domain expertise. You can have all the data you want, but if you don't know what to do with it, that data is worthless. But if you understand a workflow and everyone's an expert in something, you understand a workflow, then you get access to the data, you have the makings of an AI company. And I think that's also how you compete with the larger companies like Microsoft or OpenAI is understanding from end to end what a workflow looks like, not just a landing page, an entire marketing strategy, as well as how to implement it, as well as how to maintain it, right? You can't use a landing page if it's just by itself there are other pieces that need to make you need to make it work it's the same thing in any sort of enterprise small business societal workflow you have to have steps that are needed and you have to understand the pieces that connect in order for it to really solve a problem for people yes and that's great and that's shifting the perspective from the product to the people right that's right so it's, okay i i built a website Great. What's the user experience? How do they discover the website? How did you onboard mm-hmm. them? How do they build the habits by using your product? What does mastery look like for you and your product? And, the, and if you look at those different levels from onboarding, discovery to onboarding, to habit building, to mastery, every product has a journey. But if you're not thinking about the user's experience, that's a workflow pattern, right? Photoshop, right? You hear about Photoshop, you see some things on social media, then you onboard through the things It gives you a certain amount of tutorials. You learn how to do silly Photoshop things and eventually become mm-hmm. a master. And then you're doing tutorials online, teaching other people how to do it, right? That's a pattern of mastery for that. And what I love about this is you're talking about this. You're talking about every data, AI runs on data. Everyone has their own internal data sources through experiential of life. What is mm-hmm. your data source? And then how do you extract your own data source that then be able to treat workflow patterns to other people to be able to make it easier for people to follow in your footsteps, for example? That's right. That's yeah. right. I love that. How do you do, I take it you use ChatGPT? Regularly. Yeah. Regularly, it's okay. Can you mm-hmm. talk to me about a couple workflow patterns, things that you use ChatGPT with as some examples for people to know? So the biggest example I can give is we're bombarded with so much information every single day. And I will often use it to summarize non-proprietary information. I'm pretty careful with what I share in it. But if I have a wall of text from anything that is not proprietary, I'll plug it in and I'll have it do a quick summary for me. I think the triage of information and data as as the leader of a startup or any company in any leadership position, that's so important, being able to master that ability for ourselves. And if ChatGPT can take some of that heavy lifting off from us, it's amazing for doing so. You might as well use it. 
Yes. I've heard some good examples of this where people, uh, they're looking at a life insurance or something like that. This, mm -hmm. this, and they got bombarded with all these contracts and things. And so they're able to upload the contracts and say, could you just summarize these points and let me know what things I should be concerned with? And so you put right. a lot of trust into the system, but at the same time is, yeah, you can get overwhelmed. And part of the value of these things is being able to actually discern from AI to talk about actionable data, right? So, okay, mm -hmm. I don't really care about the contract. I just want to know what I should be worried about, what I should pay attention to, which is you have a lot of trust in the system. You have trust right. in what can happen, how it can happen, how does it work? And I know like I just recently got a new Tesla. And so nice. yeah, but I turn on the auto, I'm still getting comfortable with the autopilot on the freeway, right? Because mm -hmm. there's a part of it I was like, I understand it will stop. <laughs> I understand there's my but there's a couple of times I had to keep I have to keep taking my foot off the brake or doing other things because I don't mm -hmm. fully trust the system yet to especially when it's mission critical stuff like aka don't right. crash me into a wall kind of stuff. And so it's I feel like the summarizing of data is maybe there'd be a things like, I think they call it trust, but verify. How do you upload data sets that you're like, I'm going to try with a small sample set. How's this going to land? I'm going to try with a little bit bigger sample set. How does this land? And then going from there. And I do, I do understand about the, anything that goes into chat GPT can, can and will be used against you in a court of law. So <laughs> that's a great way to put it. <laughs> it's out there in the ether, man. It was also makes me like it, in terms of knowing who you are and knowing your profiles, like anytime you put yourself on the social media or put your stuff out there, it's getting scraped and pulled. And all. like, for, for example, like right now we're doing this podcast, we're doing the podcast through Zoom. Mm -hmm. Zoom already said, hey, we're taking all of your data, all of your Zoom data, everything else you've got going on right now. We're just going to take that and we're going to harvest it and we're going to use to train the AI models. And that's, this is what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no way to be able to defend against it that I know of. Maybe there is, well, but they did yeah. come back two days later. And after the backlash, they did reverse course. Oh, did they? Oh, they, fantastic. They yes. Yeah. Oh. I was looking specifically for that because that determines whether we're going to adopt Zoom or not. It's it's crazy. Like, hey, every single conversation you're ever going to have with anybody on Zoom. Yeah, we're going to take that data. I was just like, woo. Oh, All going right. into one model. Yeah, congrats. That's yeah. one way to make your entire user base mad. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially. Yeah. That's why I think one of the best moves that Apple did was like, Hey, we're all about privacy and we'll fight for right. privacy. I was like, Oh, very rarely do I applaud the big tech companies for doing a great move. And that's mm -hmm. one of the big ones is, is, is that how do people in a world of AI data scraping, as we know, and there's bots all over the internet doing things, how do people mm -hmm. protect themselves against any type of uh, nefarious activities used by AI? What suggestions or recommendations would you give? Unfortunately, I think the answer is being vigilant. I think you have to constantly look for places that are stealing your data and using it in ways they're not supposed to. I think you have to be on the lookout for any sort of fraud and just basic internet security things. Tell your friends that you're never going to message them asking them for their password. This, it's the same information and the same advice that we've been given for the past 20, 30 years since the internet has really taken over people's lives. And I think that all applies in an AI world too. The difference is now people, instead of being conscious of what's coming at them, they have to be conscious of what they're putting out into these models. And they have to understand that anything they publish is going to end up reproduced. Anything at all. Even if you think it's in a private context, that's going to become more and more important every day as we go by. What's your... For you, what do you, is your great hope for humanity? What do you hope that 
this evolves into using, because we're going somewhere with this AI technologies. <laughs> what do you hope that happens with humanity? My hope is a lot more becomes democratized. What we tell people we're doing is democratizing access to government funding. We're making it available for small businesses in a way that it hasn't before. My hope is by this technology being accessible to anyone at their fingertips, we can democratize education, we can democratize knowledge, we can democratize building businesses. My hope is that AI has the potential to democratize everything that provides value in this world. That comes with its own set of challenges. And the alternative to it democratizing everything is power becomes coalesced into big tech. And that is also a potential outcome here. But is, I'm hopeful that by it being accessible to everyone, that's not what will happen. Is that what you fear? What's your great fear of the future with AI? Absolutely. That's my fear. My fear is we end up in a cyberpunk world where big corporations control everything. And I don't lose sleep over it, but I do know that it is one of the possible outcomes. And if the perfect set of circumstances comes about, that is a potential. But I really do think we're going to end up in a world where more access to more people creates more value and allows people to create their own sustained life where they're providing value, they're fulfilled, and they're less burdened by really the day-to-day -day that we have to worry about now. What advice would you give, and we're coming towards the end here, I've had one more question after this, is what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to push humanity into this hopeful direction? What advice would you give to these young, innovative entrepreneurs that are out there to help be able to push us towards the, the utopian society? My advice would be you always have to consider the double-edged sword of what it is you're doing. And I think Sam Altman has done a really good job of this. I have to applaud him on that. He knows there's going to be repercussions. And the reason they published ChatGPT and then immediately went on a global lawmaker tour, if you will, is twofold. One, it protects OpenAI, protects this company. But two, it represents an awareness of the impact that they're actually having. And a lot of people talked about it when ChatGPT and OpenAI really hit the mainstream and that conversation has dwindled. But I think you see him still speaking in public about the risks of it and doing his part to educate people. And so I think educating people on how it can be used for good and how it can be used for bad is what will help us create frameworks to ensure that safety as we go forward as a society. Now, we have a lot to figure out. The impact is going to be massive. And if we're not ready for it, it can cause some real problems. So for innovators who are in the space, they have to consider that. Otherwise, it's irresponsible use of technology. Beautiful. And yeah, it, there was a, it was very interesting. Like AI came out, Sam Altman came out and then all of a sudden he's in Congress. He's like, we should have people get proof of this. I was like, oh, that's a hell of a buried entry. That's a, that's yes, one way to protect, protect your mode. I was like, yeah, your own data on the edge. Oh, and laws being passed in your favor. That's, that's uh, right. Yeah. It's very powerful stuff. That's smart. Um, he's obviously <laughs> a very smart man. He knows mm -hmm. his stuff. But with all that being said, what else would you like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you? Absolutely. I think. If anyone is in the space where you have a product, you have something that you think could be useful to the government, reach out to us. Follow me on LinkedIn, reach out to my team through our website, standupai.com. 
And our job is to democratize access to the funds that are available. And there's $172 billion that the government issues to small businesses every year. What I've seen is a lot of that money ends up going to big businesses indirectly, right? And, but that's the problem that we're solving. Big businesses will take a huge chunk of that in order to help navigate the space. But if you go through us, we're a startup, we're scrappy, we were subject to that same problem ourselves. We're here to help you and we're here to democratize access to that capital for you. Beautiful. And if they want to get a hold of you, Alan, how do they do that? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn, Alan Harris. I think it's at Cynthia Allen, or you can do our, you can go to our website, which is standupai.com. Beautiful. Alan, it's been an honor and a pleasure, my friend, and I'll see you on the other side. Likewise, Dylan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the ChatGPT for Me podcast. Do you want to use the regular ChatGPT, but it's currently maxed out? You can try our custom-built GPT-powered chatbot for free by going to the website chatgptforme.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the other side.